2: Hello, the internet, and welcome to Season 273, Episode 5 of Der Eye Zeitgeist! Yeah? A production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness, and it is Friday, February 3rd, 2023, 2323. My name is Jack O'Brien, aka Potatoes O'Brien, and I'm thrilled to be joined in my second seat by one of the very faces on Mount Zytemore, a hilarious and brilliant writer, producer, writes on shows like uh, Mixed-ish, that 90s show, you know him from Yo! Is This Racist, which has a live episode this Saturday at Cobbs in San Francisco as part of SF Sketchfest. It's Andrew T! (laughs) I'm not just the guest co-host,
3: I'm the co-host that guessed it up. That's right. (laughs) Hell yeah! (laughs) What's (laughs) up? Amazing! (laughs) I watch. I I was like debating before we got here. I was like, that is simply too dumb to say out loud, and now I think I have to. I have to try.
2: Yeah, you absolutely did. Well, Andrew, we are thrilled to be joined in our third seat by a James Beard Award-winning writer and host of the podcast Radio Lingo. Please welcome
1: Ahmed Ali Akbar. Pew pew pew. Hey, how's
4: it going?
2: It's going all right. I I did listen to the pilot episode of the show, which is all about how people mispronounce your name, how to pronounce your name. Yep. Did my best just there.
4: That was pretty good. Okay. I all would right. I would probably I would probably give that a pass. I would I would go no notes. So I'd be like, yeah, C- good. I would no C correction. minus.
2: <laughs> well, well, C minus well, is a pass. We'll
4: take it. <laughs> uh, I think I think I'm like you learn to be okay with lots of different ways of pronouncing your name, and there are a lot of different ways of pronouncing my name, even in my own family. I realized doing that pilot that half the people in my family don't say my name the same way, so I've learned to be pluralistic and open-minded about it.
2: Amazing. How And how deep are you in the show? There's been a we few- We finished
4: the first season. The first season yeah. is, is out. All eight episodes are out on streaming platforms of Radiolingo. It's a show we did with um Crooked Media and Duolingo, so like we kind of got a little bit of that cultural criticism. We got a little bit of the linguistics, you know science culture it's like it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it makes linguistics fun. I mean, I think language is like really interesting, and uh, you know sometimes getting good info about it is hard, so we hope to do a lot of accessible and interesting information about the way language shapes our world and how our world shapes language,
2: yeah. So how exactly did I mispronounce it though because that's
4: so so, <laughs> so here's the thing. It, you can't be expected to say it the way that I say it given the way it's written. It's A H M E D. That sure. E is is so misleading. It's actually Amud. Amud. Yeah, there okay. you go. Oh, that was very good. Honestly, right. 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10. There, wow. There Look at me. Um Amud is 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 how it's said. In Amud. Okay. The, Wow, that's so good. Honestly, All one right. of the better, better, better pronouncers from a non Pakistani person I've heard. So kudos Amazing. to you. Amazing. Wow. I think grading
3: on a curve, grading on the white curve is important.
2: This is. <laughs> it, it's <laughs> always important for me, Andrew, that I get graded on that white curve. Low expectations, you know. Uh, Potatoes O'Brien is, you know, my nickname because it is the most average side <laughs> side dish possible. And I'm aggressively mediocre. So. On
4: the topic of potatoes, I guess that could be Ahmad Alu Akbar. There you Alu's go. potato in Urdu. Um, <laughs> as you know, like Alu Gobi. But uh, I wanted to say, like, there's probably Arabs listening in who are like, he's saying his name wrong because they say <laughs> Ahmed. Right. That's also right to them. But to me, it's in my family, everyone says Ahmad or Ahmad. There so, you go. Yeah.
2: All right. Ahmad, we're going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, we're going to tell our listeners a couple of the things that we're talking about on today's episode. Apparently, a big strike happening in the UK that's uh, not getting a lot of coverage over here in the mainstream. So, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the civil suit against Kyle Rittenhouse being able to go ahead and just, there's some good descriptions in the suit that give you a nice, it, just recontextualize things that I, I think maybe people have lost sight of. In that case, we'll talk about Shell oils. We we just always like to celebrate when Shell oil reports record profits. We like to
3: Yay! celebrate with Shell.
0: <laughs> so. Crack
2: open a barrel of crude. It's another, Thank another you. banner day for Shell. That's right. We'll talk about ugly produce. We'll talk about Ticketmaster, Ticketmaster anxiety that I think everyone's having around <laughs> the upcoming Beyonce tour. So we'll talk about all that, plenty more. But first, Emma, we like to ask our guest, what is something from your search history?
4: I wish it was something interesting, but really what I use Google for now is just looking up things about the video games I'm playing, <laughs> which okay. currently is Fire Emblem <laughs> Engage. I'm like, this game does not explain anything to you. How do I promote this character into a class that is cool and does cool things? I The game is not explaining it to me. So it's all like... Fire Emblem engage how to promote Elliot to next class like that's literally it. Uh,
2: nice. I'm I'm not a gamer. Andrew, do you does any I think, of, do any of those words make sense to you?
4: One of
3: my <laughs> they kind of do because one of my uh, I believe first appearances on this very show I was talking about how one of my favorite things to do is as a non gamer is watch people play video games on YouTube. So I'm like more familiar. I was at my friend's house the other day and his kids were playing God of War and I knew where stuff was even though I had literally never played the game before. And I think I (laughs) am incapable of it. Right.
4: You're like, you missed a chest. They're like, what chest? Yeah, yeah. Swing
3: over over that ledge and then fire the axe the other way. It's right there. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
2: I really like hearing people talk about video game like storytelling and like all, all the ways that it's innovating. Again, like don't play video games, I haven't played video games since uh the, the N64 really on a sort of consistent <laughs> basis and but yeah, so, sometimes people will just, you know, th- because you know, playing you're sort of involved in it and I feel like there's just a level of like commitment and vividness and color that comes with uh, sometimes hearing a video game, like gameplay described, that that I really enjoy. Riveting. It's like being
4: a little brother all over again. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jack, you don't play any Candy Crush or, like, Wordscapes or any of that on your phone? Oh, I,
2: like, I got into Wordle and c- <laughs> Candy Crush at various times. Yeah. but To me, I'm, that means you play video games. I feel yeah.
4: like the, 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 the intense gamer bros have Monopolize that identity. It's like you play games on your phone, you're you play video games. That's that's how I see it.
2: And I always feel bad every time I play like Candy Crush or like one of those games. I'm like, what am I doing? (laughs) Where is my (laughs) because the time like I think the reason I stay away from it is because the most that I've engaged in non-pharmaceutical time travel where it's just like <laughs> oh i i've been sitting here for 3 hours but i have no awareness like the time just absolutely disappeared has been playing like you know candy crush or something like that so i want to do i want
3: someone to do a deep dive into those like clearly spam video games that get advertised on instagram right. like it's like this is clearly not a thing like yeah. but th- dozens of iterations
2: it's amazing Nine out of ten guys can't solve this. (laughs) Yeah. Can you? (laughs) I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) What what is the game that you're, would you mind engaging in a little uh, video game storytelling description? And Uh, tell uh, us about, what what was the name of the game? Fire Emblem Engage. Engage. Okay.
4: It's, I would not, I would be very embarrassed to have you watch me play that game. because it's <laughs> Embarrassing. The game before Fire Emblem Three Houses was kind of like this great like political drama in like a kind of <laughs> anime high school, like medieval anime <laughs> high school kind of situation. But like there was actually some smart like character writing in it. This new one is just like, you know what? it's camp. It's all camp and your <laughs> units will you'll your units will die like they'll actually die like they will be dead and the game will not comment on it. It's like a it's a <laughs> game where you like field a bunch of cavalry and like archers and they all have like blue hair and red hair and they like are dressed in ridiculous outfits and you just have to send these child soldiers out and hope <laughs> that they don't die and try to protect the kingdom from like dragons. It's it's really not a very cool game but it is sure. a, a game that i've been playing for probably like 12 years every time they come out with one i play a new one because the gameplay is very good it's a very fun game and
2: how are you with the are you, are you watching the last of us and yes, I, I think I, I saw on twitter that you are <laughs> uh, how's I, everybody doing I, with that
4: i actually
3: last? wasn't because it's the game was too harrowing so i i was joking about it but i i'm gonna catch up <laughs> at some point
4: so I, yeah the 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 last of us game which is like you know about those you know fungus people taking over the world <laughs> and you know this journey to you know <laughs> i won't spoil the journey of what the journey is about but there's a big journey the na- game was very yeah like harrowing and nihilistic this and i was like a little um worried about what they would do here because every zombie show likes to be the real enemy is actually humans <laughs> it's not the zombies like yes we know um humans Wait, are terrible what like, <laughs> but uh This last episode they did was so beautiful. It was so, so beautiful. It was about, like, survival, I guess, and love. And I just thought that the way they did it was, like, it was just a little short film. And that really sold me on it. Andrew, I wasn't sold on it before then either. Oh, really? Okay, I'm sold. Well, I I, I was just, like,
3: I'd heard, because this episode is a deviation from the the game and prior to that it sounded like it was very close to the game however my my pitch on twitter was because i'm horribly bad at video games and this is actually one of the few video games i played we should i would like to see a last of us prestige tv show set to the pacing of my gameplay uh so everything (laughs) takes about like four hours (laughs) they spend like like really really like unbelievable amount of time missing shooting at one zombie one of the early ones that kind of shit.
4: The main character keeps dying keeps and dying dying coming and back, back to, to life. life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Just like, <laughs> just like, like
3: <laughs> looking at a pile of bolts in his hands like, ah, I got to make some stuff, I
2: guess. <laughs> <laughs> what is something that you think is
4: overrated? This is a very basic high school opinion of mine. But waking up early, having <laughs> had to... I'm a, I'm a new dad, and for the last five weeks I have been alone with the baby and have had to every single day be the only person waking up when the baby wakes up. And now that my partner's back and we're splitting the duties, I'm like, I don't want to go back to that. That is not pleasant for me. I know some people get a lot done there. I was waking up early and still not getting as much work done (laughs) in the morning as all these morning people say. Like, I tried it for six weeks straight. It did nothing for me. All my work was happened after 11 11 a.m.
2: I'm famously on the Mark Wahlberg schedule, where I wake up at 2 a.m. <laughs> and get a full, full, just absurd workout in, yeah. just to make sure that I know that I have the mental edge over my fellow humans, aka competitors, because I right. view everybody else as a competitor. And
4: yeah, yeah. first breakfast at 6 a.m., second breakfast at nine. <laughs> you know, <like laughs> you, right. you cook five different meals a day. <laughs> yeah, can't
3: podcast without
4: the pump. That's right. get
3: jacked.
2: Yeah. You got to get your pump on before, before <laughs> rolling. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't have that either. I, I, I've tried it and yeah, I, I'm mostly through the very early waking up with the baby part portion of fatherhood, but it's, yeah, I just, I just can't wait to sleep in until nine <laughs> one time in the future and be like, wow. I, I I don't even, I'm not waking up in a panic wondering what has happened that has yeah, allowed right. me to sleep until nine. night. Right. Yeah. This might be
3: similar to y'all's fatherhood journey, but I just have a dog who wants to go out. But I have a very, this is, you know, if this were a human being I was talking about, I think I'd be called, you know, Child Protective Services would be called on me. But I have, I get to make the choice of like, look, it's only going to be some pee. If I, I, I could, in exchange for sleep, I can know that I will have to clean up pee, and then I can make that decision then, which I guess I right. can't do with a child.
4: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we just, we, just, we just
2: let the pee ride
3: with our, <laughs> yeah. with our
4: kids. Yeah. We let them sleep in it for, you know, the night. <laughs> Hopefully, if they yeah. sleep through the night, that's good. They had to that's have right. slept through a little bit of pee to do that, and that's actually better than the alternative. Um, <laughs> that's
2: some right sound sleep. For them and for
4: us. What's something you think is underrated? here's a controversial one i think maybe for some people but i think snl <laughs> i'm a Go huge on. snl head i don't know <laughs> if it's something about like being an immigrant kid where like or like child of immigrants where it was like a a weekly view into pop culture that like was really a grab bag like i find myself continually you know not always loving it but finding it a useful thing to watch every week and in- enjoy like and you know, occasionally, I think there's a lot of underrated sketches there. And also, having done live podcasts and really struggling with them, that job is hard. It's really hard. Like doing stuff live is not easy. Yeah. So I think SNL is kind of a, still an achievement to me, and I I will I will ride for many many seasons of it. There are some seasons that are not good, but even <laughs> then, deep deep in the deep in the back end of the hour and a half, you'll find a good sketch here or there. I think it's yeah. gotten
3: much better in the last with the the new the new cast members are yeah
2: great
4: love maybe they're yang. just because
2: they're yeah they're just like more more my speed yeah I've just always you know gone in hoping for as much Alec Baldwin as possible in <laughs> my <laughs> SNL consumption No, I I haven't watched it in a in a while I think it was like those Baldwin trump episodes that yeah. was like but but yeah wh- when i do get a sketch forwarded to me i always enjoy it and it is the ultimate death knell of your uh, i feel like relevance is to be like snl sucks now it used to be good <laughs> when i was in my 20s and <laughs> Right, that is an objective fact and in no way tied to my uh, aging yeah yeah
4: well, what are they going to do with Baldwin's uh, new oh, yeah. case? I don't know if he's That's ever going to come back on with the oh. you know, I, I, with the shooting case. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We'll see, I guess.
2: And have you been, Ahmed? You've ridden with it for like the whole time. Yeah. You, you, yeah. Okay. Yeah,
4: I never stop watching it. My family watches it on week. Like it's something my siblings have always done. Oh wow! And we continue to do it. I don't. I, I don't know why. <laughs> um, I think also i imprinted on my like older sisters who are like almost ten years older than me. It was like weirdly something we agreed on, and you know, never changed really. Yeah, I love we have that. Some, yeah, yeah. It is a nice little ritual. Well, also
3: the YouTube of it really helps like sketch comedy because it is like you could just watch the good parts, right? Like
4: you know the four. you can watch it on two times speed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it doesn't waste an hour and a half of your time you know what i mean there's no commercials you just i watch it on youtube by the way i don't watch it like you don't watch it, it but yeah that to be fair when i mean like i actually do ask my sister like i was like did you see the michael b jordan one which was the last one that was just on and we were like talking about the sketches and stuff so yeah
2: yeah i, I love a good family like media tradition like, I have a friend whose family just always watched 60 Minutes together, and they won't miss 60 Minutes, like, no matter what. And, yeah. Do, so as somebody who's watched, I feel like, more SNL than anybody in that I've ever spoken to, uh-huh. uh, having, like, stuck with it through the thick and thin, is there a season, is there a cast member that you feel like everybody slept on?
4: A season or cast member everybody slept on? Well, I was going to say a sketch that I think is really good. All I right. suggest yeah, a sketch for you to go see. because yeah. I feel like Give us a deep cut sketch. It's not really that deep of a cut, but I'll just, <laughs> I'll, I mean, maybe if you're not watching Medium now, cut. It. <laughs> Which me. is the career day sketch with Adam Driver, where Adam Driver plays like this decrepit 120 year old father of like a teen, like a 12 year old, like Pete Davidson is like <laughs> supposed to be like 15 and he just comes in and like talks about you know, what it was like growing up as, like, a robber baron. (laughs) It's like, but the thing is, uh, he commits to the sketch so hard. You've seen Adam Driver, you know, you know, good soup, you know, like, how intense he gets. He brings that level of intensity to that character, and it is, like, Also, like, a good example of why Live is good is he he freaks everyone out in the room. He's so intense about it. Like, (laughs) you can see there's moments where, like, he, like, stabs, like, a a, a prop raven with his cane, and everyone jumps because, like, he wasn't supposed to do it. It's like, that's something that's magical about SNL that, like, can't be done. It's like it's a weird alchemy that you wouldn't see in other places.
2: Yeah, that's great that he does SNL because I feel like you know, so the the super committed. Yeah, well, I'm drawing a blank on the guy who played Lincoln and is famous <laughs> for freaking everybody out on set. Yeah, what's what's his name? <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> like the fucking Daniel, Daniel Day, Day Lewis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like Dan Day Lewis, as I call him. Uh, Daniel. <laughs> never, never. Uh, like, kind of, we we never got to see that aspect of, like, his intensity freaking everybody out. So that's cool yeah. that Adam Driver does it. I commend that.
3: I, I like when the guests are, like, drama kids that, like, really go for it. I feel like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's yeah. a great example yeah. where he's just, yeah. like, he's been ready for this his entire life. And, like, everything is the same level of commitment no matter what.
4: Yeah. One person that I will ride for that I think is very funny is Vanessa Bayer, who is the cast member, who has this, like, amazing gummy smile that she uses to great effect Uh, on like the totino sketch if you remember the totino sketches where she plays like the disaffected housewife who all the guys watching the super bowl like want her to make yeah Yeah. for hungry guys like it's such an amazing and unusual role like for (laughs) that like she gets to you know like kind of an energy she you wouldn't see as much in sketch comedy that you she she does really well i feel like yeah, she's no longer on the show. She's a former cast member. I yeah, really like she... the current cast. Andrew, like you're saying, there's a lot of new people, like Ego. Yeah, and, I think that's really and yeah. Punky, and and uh, there's a lot of new people that I like.
3: Yeah, yeah, we, weird LA people. It's the best.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really went with uh, the LA comedy scene. Vanessa Bear's character, where she's playing the young boy who's, I think, being bar mitzvah or bar yeah. mitzvah, is one of my favorite things. So good. That's Just such a great one sketch. of my favorite comedic comedic performances and now you are a fan if you know that yeah yeah Yeah. yeah. i just just not i i've like fallen off in the past few years so yeah but vanessa bear currently has a podcast on our sister network big money players oh nice so it's been very cool
4: i guess i'll have to listen to that if i'm writing for Vanessa. (laughs) how did
2: we get weird all right let's take a quick break we'll come back we'll talk about some news and we're back. And so big strike happened in the UK. Teachers, train drivers joined civil servants and other workers for a mass strike on Wednesday, dubbed Walkout Wednesday, the biggest strike action in a decade, which closed 85% of schools. And this is just the latest strike action in the UK protesting low wages there's been a wave of strikes in recent months across the public and private sectors, including Amazon workers and postal staff, nurses, paramedics, other healthcare workers are set to strike next week. And I feel like, I don't know, it, it does. Do you feel like this is being covered much in in the U.S. media? <laughs> I, I feel like I haven't seen no. a great deal of coverage on
3: this. No, it's I, I feel like like. The the extra lifeblood of America is like suppressing labor and like yes. and anything to do that is is what it takes to keep America running.
2: Yeah, it really feels like a like a, a, an allergic reaction that we have to any any message that any yeah. story that leads you in in a left leftward direction. Yeah,
3: or even yeah, or even to consider should I be striking? Like right. that is the question they absolutely True. do not want. Anyone asking themselves in America.
2: Yeah.
4: Well, this is a related story, which is the nurses walk out and montefiore in the bronx in new york that was right. like i felt like that got a decent amount of coverage on npr where you know and then the other thing that was brought up was the that i saw in that story was the uh ins- that ridiculous wages that the that the scab nurses or the travel nurses uh, or whatever you would call them the tra- that the ones that kind of filled in they were being paid some ridiculous like hundreds of dollars an hour to to fill in and then i think what's interesting is also when the strike is resolved it's kind of like it's fine now. <laughs> like, you know, it's not really yeah. fine. It's just like the reason they're striking is because things have been so unsustainable for so long. It might get you closer to equilibrium, but it's really not where the workers want to go a lot of the times, too. So it's yeah. like a little bit of both. It's like the coverage is like, oh, the strike is happening. But, you know, it, it's a it's a reflection of like a longer trend of devaluing workers. And, yeah. and when it's like resolved, it's like it's usually a bandaid. It's really a bandaid for yeah. inflation and all the other stuff happening that's causing them to, you know, want to walk out.
3: Yeah. The Amtrak strike being broken was like just fucking horrible. Just it was just brutal.
4: That was brutal.
2: Moving along. Moving along. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Broken. Okay. Everything's good now. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But again, like the public public opinion is in like more than half of people are in favor of the educational sector striking in the UK. Generally there's always more public support for strikes and labor organizing in the u.s than i'm usually expecting based on how just kind of much of a non-story it's always treated as in the media and it really it really feels like i don't know like people are at a point after you know so many years of just being being like seeing over and over again and we'll kind of keep returning to this in the stories about Ticketmaster and Shell, but that like the corporations will treat you as badly as they can legally get away with treating yeah. you. And, or worse, if, yeah. if, they, if they could get away with it just quietly. Yeah.
3: I mean, I think the pitch to like every worker is like, hey, you know, the thing that gives you the most power against the boss that you hate, it's actually doing the thing that you like most, not working. So consider strikes. It is right. powerful and actually good. Yeah.
2: There was one like little viral moment where like Channel 4 earned praise by uh showing solidarity with the workers by airing the Simpsons episode where Homer goes on strike on Wednesday, the day of the walkout and they but they like claimed it was a coincidence. Which is just <laughs> that like stuck out to me as weird. Like why do you have to claim it's a coincidence? This is a thing that's happening don't you know do you have to i
3: i isn't i mean i guess it's i will say like playing reruns from my brief time when i worked at comedy central seems like much more complicated and longer thought out than i ever realized (laughs) right (laughs) so i guess i'm saying there is a chance it was a coincidence
2: it was a coincidence okay got it Uh, you know you never
3: know but like yeah, because that—it's that, just, like, unbelievably tedious to, like, which
2: episode of The Simpsons are we playing now? <laughs> okay, we have to clear everything. Every yeah. sound cue. Every—yeah, that makes sense. All right, moving on to the—a civil suit against Kyle Rittenhouse that a judge refused to throw out. John Huber, the father of one of Kyle Rittenhouse's victims, is suing Rittenhouse and the government— claiming that he conspired with officers to cause harm to protesters which seems pretty undeniable <laughs> like yeah yeah just reading like parts of the case it's just like it's like yeah that that happened that you know we we've kind of gotten some distance from it and the there was the case that where he was found not guilty but like just the description, like, despite openly carrying a rifle, the complaint states that Rittenhouse was never questioned by authorities. At the time, Rittenhouse was a minor, unauthorized to possess such a weapon, and, like, couldn't have looked more (laughs) this is me editorializing, but, like, couldn't have looked more like a child holding an assault rifle. (laughs) Law enforcement forced protesters into a confined area with hostile armed individuals and failed to protect the protesters from violence perpetrated by the armed individuals.
3: Yeah. It, but that's yeah. like also though every police <laughs> like every time the police are dealing with uh protesters who aren't nazis so like right yeah. it is a thing yeah. where i mean if the civil suit goes through i think like i, I do feel like the whole like quote-unquote justice system is going to be like fighting against this because it's really like hits to the core of their business model right like, <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah it's so fucking grim it's terrible to have to see Rittenhouse's face on Twitter every now and again. It's like it's actually yeah. amazing,
2: yeah, and the so I was assuming like yeah, it was the their argument for throwing dismissing the case that this judge overturned was you know something along the lines of the argument that he used to be found not guilty but in fact it's just he's been hiding from them tr- when they were trying to serve him with the with the <laughs> oh papers one of the main arguments was uh that he wasn't properly served in order to sue him huber had to hire private investigators to track down mr rittenhouse's residence which required searching addresses in seven states all they could find was his mom and sisters place in florida so they served his sister who claimed he was not home and the judge was like, that's what Yeah, <laughs> what are you talking about? It is a wild like, <laughs> part of the U.S. justice system that you can just like that. There's like a hide and seek stage of getting sued.
4: <laughs> well, it's also funny because like, yeah, when you talk about Kyle Rittenhouse on Twitter, he gives this aura like that. He's like, I'm like a brave patriot. Yeah, he's like he's a child hiding from the consequences of his actions is like it really shows you what, you know, the character there.
3: It is like, yeah, he's like such a weenie at every stage of everything. It is just like, yeah, just kind of some kind of fascist Alfred E. Newman walking around with a gun.
2: Right. Yeah. But yeah, it just feels like, I don't know, a good, maybe this civil suit can be a sort of this is water moment where you get to take a step back and see this event for what it is. That like, there's just an implicit assumption in our society that the conservative gun-toting white supremacist side is going to be treated like they're on the same team as the police. Right. <laughs> that's that's wild. Yeah. That's, it's very shouldn't... Spider-Man meme. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. And then finally some good news. Uh shell oil is reporting right. to profits.
0: <laughs> Woo. Boo, boo, boo.
2: Yeah. Profit <laughs> profits hit 39 0.9 billion in 2022 a uh, double last year's total and the highest in its double. 115 year history oh, so I'm the sorry. year 2022 we remember what that year was was like with the prices skyrocketing and everyone saying this is unavoidable and this being a key feature of how we were feeling the pressure yeah. of inflation and lack of affordability that is driving the strikes that we just talked about. Yeah. You know, and people just not being able to live. So that that year was double year-over-year profits for a company that is one of the biggest, most profitable companies in the world. And... I, I know this is like a...
3: I, the fact that I even have to ask this probably tells you exactly it's like a problem with both my like career in general and like it's just like uh, what is enough money like at a certain point (laughs) like you have to have enough money right like and what is the point of even this like what are you gonna spend it on you're gonna be living in god i guess you're gonna be in the dome and everyone else is in a water world but yeah this is this is dome money you're accruing
2: it's in it's the scene in dr strange love where they're like well you know we could all just move into this cave and you know yeah ha- there would be a lot of men but we would need to reap like procreate for yeah re- populate the world it's it, it is that grim like dark moment where the masters of the universe are secretly plotting to just be like yeah well that's Sounds like a YP. Yeah. Climate change. Sounds like a you problem. And I'm over here trying to figure out how to move this $40 billion best. Yeah. So
3: I know I will be long dead when this goes down, but when these people's militias turn against them at the very first second of the apocalypse, right. it will be very satisfying.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh. They're also being sued by 14,000 people in Nigeria for completely destroying. The local ecology, their way of life, and that's so are... weird. Shell's usually so <laughs> sensitive to that sort of thing, right? I know. So, I, but again, like I don't know but these these sorts of lawsuits. You know, even when they do win in local court, they find a way to just tie it up in endless, yeah. You know they they put that forty billion to to good use in legal fees. All you could do is hurt that pile of money, which appears to be
3: the thing worth destroying the world for. Right. And there's like no amount of fines you could give them. It's, yeah, kind of like they're bad, a bad thing
2: for the earth. I'll get back to you. Kind of almost like that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. we'll we'll Google that and uh, get back to you on that one. (laughs) All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the ugly produce movement. And we're back and so sprouts will now have an ugly section for their produce in California. like in addition to organic there there will be an ugly section where just misshapen off color, over or undersized. Let me see which fruits they actually named because it so it'll be <laughs> they, they named potatoes, onions, grapefruit lemons, oranges, pears, carrots, kiwi, and bell peppers. just the
3: most fucked up dish you've ever
2: had exactly but basically the there's a sorting process that happens before produce reaches grocery shelves and they get rid of any that have visible imperfections in favor of you know, whatever looks like the platonic ideal of, of <laughs> that fruit, essentially, and so people have kind of had the idea for a while now, actually, that that this is probably contributing to the fact that the USDA estimates that as much as thirty percent of the U.S. food supply goes uneaten. So it's we'll we'll talk it in a little bit, but so Whole Foods. A couple other places tried to start a similar movement in 2016, but like really couldn't get consumers on board. And there was a recent study that said that just the natural human assumption is that ugly food is actually worse for us, even though it's not like it's completely incorrect. But a University of British Columbia School of Business study found that people assume ugly produce is less nutritious and less delicious than its better looking counterparts, which is a bummer because it's
3: not true. I feel like it says such bad things about humanity that like our our idea of you I mean, you say platonic ideal. I'm like, basically we can't process any food that doesn't look like a five year old druid. Right. Like, right. This is like Apple but It's exactly like shaped like this.
2: So Let me like, search in my emoji. Yeah, to see yes. what apple is supposed <laughs> to look like.
4: And, and typically, the one that looks the most like an apple has all the flavor bread out of it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like the red the delicious is your worst. Like, uh, you your you know, platonic ideal of what an apple should look like. And it's one don't of the get worst me started on red delicious <laughs> you know, is the terrible. worst. Terrible. And, yeah. so, <laughs> and we, I, you know, this that you know, article that. I wrote about, I wrote this article about um the mango market on WhatsApp and mangoes in America are very beautiful and the ones that come from India Pakistan Asia are these like bruised little soft messed up things and you and they like covered can be covered in black spots and they are literally ten times better than any like people like all wow. your you know a- Asian parents are going to be like mangoes in America aren't mangoes and they really yeah. are when you try them it's like it's like they, they like taste like apples you know the, yeah. the tommy atkins and like all they, they don't have that kind of like caramely sweet goodness that and so like this article that i wrote you know back in that uh, was it 2021 now? i don't 120, is like about how people will pay $8 a mango um, because they know how much better they can be. And I think it comes down to people just uh, uh, not really being very educated about seasonality. The other thing that's crazy about that is when I've, people have heard about this, they're like, it'll be in January, they would be like, can I get some mangoes? I'm like, you think (laughs) mangoes grow in January? (laughs) Like, they do not, they only grow for a couple of weeks in like, you know, in, in, in the summer. Like, they're not, it's a season. It's not something you can get. But here in america you can actually get mangoes literally every month of the year because we're importing from all sorts of different places yeah so on the misfits thing i'll just say one thing which is if food waste is the primary problem then the misfits thing is like a really small part of it because even still all of the stuff that's coming to the market like they plan to make a profit on it to chart to charge as little as they do that half of it is going to be thrown out like they just want you to you know they it's a, it's a model already built on waste and yes they're slightly re- supermarkets are slightly reducing their wastes but uh it's it's really probably not as sustainable as supporting a local farmer or csa which is uh, you know they're trying to still get you in the door and support their overall yeah. very bad for the climate so i'm a little skeptical of these misfits markets yeah and-
2: i and- i am too because yeah. I, I mean one of the even even in this article in the takeout that covers it they mentioned that Like when the food gets sorted before it's delivered to the grocery stores, it's not just like thrown in a can and picked up by the garbage truck. It's actually used to feed animals or fold it back into the soil to add nutrients to the soil. So, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't feel like this is the thing that's driving food waste.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It's not the primary thing. Yeah, it's the whole supermarket model in general is just a huge contributor to food waste. So uh, they're just trying to kind of launder their reputation a little bit, I think. Yeah, of course. And even these subscription boxes, like, I'm not sure, like, you know, sure, you're eating the wasted stuff. But if it's being, you know, driven on a gas powered, you know, uh, (laughs) massive truck, like, or delivery van, like, is that really more sustainable than just, you know? Not doing that, I don't know, buying right. from a local farmer or something. But to be fair, buying CSAs, those things are expensive. I've tried, and I waste yeah. a lot of my CSAs. So you know, I'm calling the pot, calling the kettle black over here. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean, we have a very productive lemon tree at my house, and love that for you. <laughs> it, I I love it. It's one of the one of the greatest gifts in my life. But they it produces. I'd say, like, 10% of the lemons it produces look like H.R. Geiger, <laughs> like, yeah. like, designed them. They, they, there is some wild shit, which which I feel like is actually cool. Like, if I saw some lemons that looked like that at the grocery store, I'd, I think I'd have to be, be on board with that, you know? A lot of zesting surface area, if you want to <laughs> do a lemon zest with, that has, like... Cthulhu tentacles coming out of the top of it. Oh all. yeah! Have you ever Start seen
4: making... an overgrown zucchini? By the way, have oh. I ever oh. seen a zucchinis be z- z- an overgrown? Oh, because they they grow, grow like your own little zucchinis. like
3: Night King horns, right?
4: If you don't cut them by the time they become, like, that perfectly, like, even shape, they just become these giant, bulbous, like, creatures that are just (laughs) horrifying. (laughs) And it's like, I wouldn't know that unless I, like, my sister had, like, a summer of trying to grow zucchinis. Like, I had no idea that, like... Th- there was a perfect time to cut a zucchini off the stem where it like looks nice, and after that, it just becomes so scary that like you don't want to eat it. Obviously, like probably like the water content is too high in those bigger ones. That's probably why people harvest it at that time. But it's like yeah, and plants are can be really scary looking sometimes, and they're still. Oh, we would eat those giant zucchinis. It would be really hard because they'd be huge. But yeah. you know. <laughs> I feel
2: like there's other stuff about the you know to your point about e- even if this isn't true, our snobbiness around how pretty the fruit is like kind of works against the ultimate product that you're getting with like the isn't bananas are all clones of the same banana that have like yeah lost
3: a lot of their because the thing every other banana is better than what
2: you think is a banana right (laughs) yeah because when, when you're designing the fruit which all fruit is like designed in a lab essentially like at this point yeah. like when you look at what corn used to look like it like it wasn't on a big dick shaped cob it was like uh, it looked like a little garden weed for for a long time and then farmers were like no nah, this should look more like a, a big dick i think <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> covered in corn yeah stuff.
4: <laughs> well there's there's an interesting balance some of them do look good on a shelf but we've also seen improvements like i don't know if you have N- like this Brussels sprouts thing where like everyone was like we used to hate Brussels sprouts and part of the reason that is is because they bred the bitterness out of b- Brussels sprouts in so like the 90s right. so the For Brussels sure. sprouts we're Damn. eating now are much better so that's why they're so like so much more delicious so it's like it's interesting like the balance of like consumer education versus like the scientists like sort of like sneaking a vegetable in by improving it. like <laughs> sweet corn also used like many varieties of sweet corn would like stop being sweet within like a minute of t- of harvesting them or something like that. Like you had to like literally just grab them and put them on the grill. So, you know, it's interesting how sometimes you get a benefit from that si- scientist, and other times it's like, why why don't you just make the fruit taste better? Like our <laughs> fruit in general in America is awful. Sorry to say, I can't think of many fruits <laughs> that I'm very fond of, in, in, in a, in a, especially in an American supermarket.
2: Yeah. Is is
4: mango the number
2: one that people need to go try when they're outside of the US. I I have had a I was in Guatemala last year and had a scoop of mango that tasted like ice cream. It tasted like it was made in, you know, by by a candy company. It was the most delicious thing and that I it, it was a consistency that I I've never had yeah. in any sort of fruit. Like it was just so buttery
4: and yeah. Custard-y. Delicious. I'm gonna yeah. Custard-y, throw out yeah.
3: persimmons, persimmons, persimmons for your yeah. asses. Oh, persimmons! So good. the best persimmon I had this year. I I picked it up and I bruised it with my like almost went through the skin with my fingers. It was like exactly. <laughs> basically like a water balloon.
6: Yeah.
4: Well, remind me when May or June comes around, I'll try to get hook you up with my mango dealer. And you, if you're willing to spend, you know, $8 on a mango, $40 for two two kgs, wow. you know, you might have a life-changing changing experience. You might not ever be able to go back. That's
6: right. But
4: yes, I would say mangoes are definitely something you need to try when you're outside of the U.S. I, I, I'm not that familiar with the South American ones, to be honest, but it's a similar situation to what you're describing with the bananas that all of the ones in North America, much like coffee, like like eight, like south asia east asia is like like coffee for e- coffee beans in ethiopia which is like there's more genetic diversity there so there's like a lot more varieties there so i'm not that familiar with the with the south american ones but i know that they're better than the american ones <laughs> the american right. ones that come over the border from mexico are not really designed for flavor there yeah. are some good mexican varieties but it's like not the ones you get at the supermarket right yeah
2: i think americans assume that because of American exceptionalism and you know shit like that. They're like, well we we have to have the best. And it's like, no, they're they're designing this product for you, a not very well informed consumer. <laughs> yeah. So like they just know that you're gonna you're gonna be okay with it.
4: And that it's available in December, in January, right. and February. <laughs> That's the main thing. Like when it should not be available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I forget what berry it was, but there was a kind of long read article about a company that designed its berries to be like it the the berries that we have now were designed to be pickable by robots essentially (laughs) because like that that is why it's that way it has nothing to do with how good it tastes it's like it looks good in a cart when you're going around the grocery store and it a robot can pick it without destroying the fruit right
3: all the all the energy goes into yeah harvesting and trucking and if it tastes better that's a maybe a brussels sprout. I feel like brussels sprouts is just the anomaly. Yeah. So the,
4: the other thing I'll say about the those Pakistani mangoes is that they try to get them in supermarkets but they go bad within 2 days. Yeah. So right. like they the, the supermarkets are like the consumer doesn't want these ugly things you know that are like brown all over and getting soft and it's like well they're better than any mango you've ever had access to but it's like they're not willing to pay pay the price for that I mean it's also very expensive to fly them from Pakistan yeah. I mean that's also like an ins- like a terrible climate change story that like mm-hmm. Pakistanis like myself are so wild about it that they're willing to like load it up in an airplane and get it flown over here um, yeah. that's not so good for the environment so.
2: Yeah. That's I wonder if Brussels sprouts were it's like a story where it's just they hit such a deep dark bottom in the <laughs> yeah. 80s where it yeah, was yeah. like they they were just you know synonymous with gross. Someone's going to yeah. spit this out if I try and feed it to and and so the you know the people at the at Big Brussels sprout like really had a come to Jesus moment where they're like we need to actually make these taste good, I think.
4: You know. the Brussels sprout hey, hey. mafia was like, broccoli is <laughs> over there and they're laughing at us. The kids are eating their broccoli. But if, if they won't if touch us. If it's just
3: bitterness, it feels like genetic variation just naturally is going to look. They couldn't be more bitter. So if you just randomize Brussels sprouts for a couple generations, they like almost have to taste better. There's like no no right. other way.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like they—they they actually had been designing them in the 40s and 50s to punish children. It turns out they were just like, hey, we need a food that tastes like yeah. shit that we yeah. make these kids. Uh, yeah. Uh, make kids. sure they know that God doesn't love them. You know. All right. Let's talk about Beyonce. Let's talk about Ticketmaster. Beyonce is about to go on tour, and. In addition to just general concerns that the tickets are going to cost the same as black market organs, <laughs> a lot of fans are worried that Ticketmaster is going to totally screw this up. For some reason, I don't know where they're getting this concern from. Oh, yeah, that literally just happened with Taylor Swift. So they were just, Ticketmaster was just the subject of a Senate Judiciary Committee meeting, which. Didn't seem to solve that much, except it gave a platform for politicians to quote Taylor Swift lyrics in a just wildly cringy yeah. fashion.
3: This will get me on Twitter.com,
2: right? All right. There we go. <laughs> <On> Twitter.com. <laughs> Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut said, Ticketmaster ought to look in the mirror and say, I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Amy Klobuchar said that consolidation within an industry is a problem the United States know knows all too well, and <laughs> <laughs> they should be forced to sing this shit if they're going to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Senator Mike Lee characterized restrictions on selling tickets as a nightmare dressed like a daydream. Which oh god? <laughs> yeah.
4: I'm excited for them to bring out the Beyonce lyrics when that comes (laughs) around. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And so the president of Ticketmaster's parent company, Live Nation, apologized to Taylor Swift fans, claimed it was just the damn bots that are responsible for the terrible consumer experience, saying they'll, quote, do better in the future. But it's that that may be the case. That may be like the problem they are failing to solve. But from from the outside, it really appears to be that Ticketmaster is a monopoly, and so when their website breaks, there's not another website yeah. that you go to and be like, "Well, Ticketmaster sucks, so we'll go buy yeah. the tickets over here," which is pretty straightforward. Like, I, it it feels like you you we end up having to explain the dynamics of capitalism a lot to <laughs> capitalists, <laughs> you know. Is I I. Is there a reason why it's a
4: monopoly? Is it
3: just the artists are like it's easier just to give all our tickets to, or the
2: venues? I guess technically sell the tickets.
4: Wasn't think it that the, the merger with Live Nation or something? No, maybe that's a long time ago. I mean, I'm yeah, just... I
2: think that's one of the ways that that I, I think a lot of well, things happen. You know, and and there's just not the appetite to push back against corporations. It's it's so they we allow these massive mergers to go through we're coming off of like 40 years of deregulation being the operative word in the u.s and it's like this is what you end up with you end up with like broken systems that like don't work because they like a corporation naturally wants to be a monopoly you can't Can't just like passively hope that it's not going to be one. Like, that is (laughs) a massive advantage for them because they ultimately just want to make as much money as possible while spending as little money as possible. And, you know, that's bad.
4: and like the bots don't seem to be bad for them. I mean, they want yeah. like, like the sneaker yeah. drops. Like they want their sneaker drops. Their the ticket. Like all these companies benefit from the bots. It seems like to me. Yes, their public opinion goes down. But there's if there's no alternative, right? There's like no if alternative, you have yeah. one place. If you have one place that does good bot protection, and you have one place that doesn't, you're gonna go to the place that has good protection against bots. But if it's a monopoly, they yeah. want. The, the like they're not gonna, they're not going to see a hit to their pockets if the bot, bots are taken down. They they want their their tickets to sell out. I mean the yeah. resale maybe even benefits them to some extent because it becomes even more highly valued, so they can charge more and more. So well, like yeah, I don't buy it. Oh. End it
2: bots. and it benefits like the bots benefit Ticketmaster because yeah. Ticketmaster has agreements with the reseller sites. Yep. that they get a cut of every resale. So they <laughs> are just making money on top of the initial money that they made. And so they've been busted, like actually like making deals with resellers. You know, they, I mean, they get, they get a cut of, a portion of like... Every ticket that gets resold on one of these like other official resellers. But in 2019, the company's president of U.S. concerts was literally caught sending 90,000 Metallica tickets to a broker who Live Nation was directed to hire with the participation of Metallica's ticket consultant. And just, like, we didn't notice that one because nobody gives a shit about Metallica, I guess. But, like, that's still... Well, there's also,
3: like, literally, what are you going to do? I mean, every right. artist, every Ticketmaster, every venue, their their response to any of this is, what are you going to do? Yeah. Like... like a little yeah. bit. It's like huge artists like offloading the being a bad guy to Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster doesn't care that they're a bad. Like it's just like creates a layer of the the service that Ticketmaster provides is creating a layer of plausible deniability to artists to say to their fans, "I don't know, it's Ticketmaster's fault." Ticketmaster's
2: like, "I don't know, who cares?" Right? Yeah that that really seems it's. Good for the artist because there's it it creates demand, it creates a story about how hard it is to get the tickets to their show. It's good for Ticketmaster. Like the only people it screws is the consumer. And this is just, I feel like this is naturally what we'll be seeing more and more, unless there is a actual concerted like political movement to push back against consolidation and deregulation and like these massive mergers. But we just haven't seen it in any real way yeah in our lifetime you know like that yeah this this is what was happening in the like end of the 19th century early 20th century where like the robber barons were just consolidating all their power and then things had to get like really fucking bad for there to be like a, a massive pushback and it seems like that's where we're headed
4: is there anyone you would brave the ticket master chaos for what would be yours that you would be willing to do this for
2: probably Frank Ocean. That's the Yeah, one. I, yeah think, I would oh. do I would do it for Frank Ocean. I really like Frank Ocean.
3: I'm too out of it to
2: like ever I only
3: ever know these things are going on sale when people start complaining that they couldn't get Same. tickets on Twitter. <laughs> <Same>. Right.
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. How about you?
3: No,
4: I think I think everybody that I would have done it for is probably not somebody that I would want to buy tickets from anymore. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> the probably the biggest right. concert I ever went to was Kanye back in the uh, Easy yeah. Era. Yeah. I that was the old, one of the rare times I was like, okay, I'll pay a lot of money to go see that. And now I don't want to do that anymore. Why? What happened? We know, haven't actually been. You know. <laughs> no, <laughs> music hasn't been so I good.
3: Didn't realize I live like. I don't know, five blocks from Dodger Stadium. And I did not realize that night that Elton John was doing whatever his like last show ever at Dodger Stadium. And I, you know, popped out to go get a taco and literally like was just stuck on sunset for like 45 minutes. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> I wow. Like, I, t- I took the turn. And I was like, oh, no. And then I looked <laughs> on Twitter and everyone was like, going to Elton John. And I was like, well, yeah. I guess I live here now. Yeah, this is
2: just where my car is going to be.
3: Yeah, yeah. you could have But it. I
4: also, like, grew up in that, like, very Midwestern punk ethos where it was, like, a place is selling more than 20 Like, they're selling tickets for more than $20. Like, I'm not going. Well, yeah, like,
2: that was cool. That was right. We were right back then. When yeah, we we were, were, like, talking about bands selling out and talking about, like, you know, we're, we're skeptical of Ticketmaster, and there was a big, like, fuck Ticketmaster movement, and it just kind of went away but like and like the idea of sellouts just like went away at a time when I feel like we need that protection that sort of natural fan-based skepticism because yeah. it's it's bad but yeah. on the
4: other hand, I'm like, wow. Like, yeah, of course, like you want all ages to be able to access a show and like an under twenty dollar ticket is great for that. But it's like, how do these bands survive that are not, you know, who are right. who are do- who are selling tickets for I've actually made a concerted effort to go to a couple of like twenty five to forty dollar tickets. Yes. Yeah. Sh- shows of bands that I've like I'm like slightly interested in not, I don't have to be like the biggest fan and I'm just like yeah this doesn't seem like a lot of people for this to travel the country for it's a hard it's a hard gig so maybe yeah, I'm yeah. like now that I'm older I'm like I would actually set, give these bands like $50 you know what I mean
2: yeah throw, throw them a bone
4: yeah they're not getting a record deal that's gonna their Spotify streams are not paying the bills right. <laughs> Let's just I was say gonna that. say
2: they make their money off of all those lucrative Spotify streams right <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: That's it. yeah the
4: tenth of a cent
2: yeah
3: by by a, uh, the um my my friend Tani, who is my podcast co-host you can see us now. Uh, she has a rule which is like if you listen to an artist on Spotify, you know whatever number of times, buy their uh, record on vinyl. That's because also that's they cool. can never take that away from you.
4: Yeah, that's right. I just got a record player to do that very same thing i have never been a vinyl person i i I fear it'll be a dangerous habit for me but i do feel (laughs) like i want to throw throw them some money because yeah Yeah. not a huge concert person
2: yeah and then ticketmaster is going to buy all the vinyl production just (laughs) get the (laughs) corner of the market it's all right man i'm listening to tapes Uh, which are made of oil, so shell <laughs> profits. Ahmed, <laughs> it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Where can people find you, follow you, hear you, all that good stuff?
4: Uh, I'm on Twitter, most actively, at Rad Brown Dads. Sadly, still on Twitter. <laughs> uh, I have nowhere else to go. If, But I also have this new podcast, like I mentioned, um, Radio Lingo, from Crooked Media and Duolingo. You can find that anywhere. You find your podcast. It's also, you know, linked on my Twitter profile. And then I would also like to plug that um, Eater article. I didn't say it was for Eater earlier about mangoes. It's like inside the secretive, high stakes, semi-illicit uh, WhatsApp trade of mangoes. That's on Eater. That's the piece that I wanted James Beard for, which I still can't believe. Like still an amazing moment in my professional career. And I'm really proud of it. So yes. yeah, those are kind That's of my, my three things. Please, please, you know, read them, listen to them. Uh, Share them so more people can find them. There you go. Thank you for having me. It was really fun.
2: Thanks for doing it. Is there a tweet or some other work of social media you've been enjoying?
4: Oh, well, I had prepared media. So I was going to talk about Last of Us.
2: Yeah, do media. That's good. (laughs)
4: I, but we already talked about last of us so it's last of us that's good it's, it's there last we go. of us i mean i can i can try to cram for something here look back through my you know okay i will say one i do have one i do have one which is derek guy die workwear who is this menswear blogger i you know i don't wear like suits or anything in my daily life but i am fascinated by the online <laughs> traditional like young guys who wear suits that like dead guys in the 60s wore like die workwear (laughs) is this guy on twitter who has just become like like there's a lot of articles written about how he became twitter's main character and everyone is like i'm like who is this person i'm sick of seeing them but Personally, I have benefited from reading Derek Guy's uh, stuff for years. So he's not like a random person. He's like an old internet person who has been putting in the work forever. And I'm like, good for you that the algorithm picked you. Like, I'm I'm defending him against the haters. I think he's been putting out great content for years. Even if you're not somebody who likes suits, he has a really interesting and open-minded perspective on what dressing means and i support his success i hope he gets like a tv show or something like a reality tv show i'm I'm, I'm all for it there you go
2: amazing andrew pleasure having you on as guest co-host where can people uh find you follow you all that good stuff
3: uh Andrew T everywhere. And yeah, if you know if you if you like Yosis Racist, or I guess we've had more, uh, because my co-host uh Tony Newsom on the podcast Yo's This Racist is also on Star Trek Lower Decks. So we uh get some Star Trek people coming to our live shows now. <laughs> there you go. Um but uh yeah, so if you're a Star Trek fan, if you're a whatever the hell I just did fan, and you're in the Bay Area, we're at Cobb's Comedy Club uh this Saturday as part of FS. SF Sketchfest. And yeah, actually, I think I recommend is also fashion related. I saw this on I think Twitter, Instagram. And I guess I haven't fully vetted these folks, but I their website seems to indicate they're good people. There's a group in Houston called the Screwston Anti-Fascist Committee. And I just bought a <laughs> shirt from them that has a picture of a crocodile. Eating a Klansman, and the text says, Racists ain't safe in the dirty South,
2: and I'm so looking <laughs> forward to this arriving. <laughs> That's so good. love that. Amazing. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. Julia Claire tweeted, can someone make a deep fake of my dad apologizing to me? I just want to see what it would look like. I think that's a good use <laughs> of fake technology that hasn't been explored. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes, where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song that we think you might enjoy super producer Justin do you have a song that you think people might enjoy that we could link off to in the footnotes I do there's this song that you may have
4: heard uh, if you spent enough time in certain corners of the internet uh, it's blowing up pretty big it's from a young Nigerian artist it goes by Victoni Vic V I C T O N Y. The song is called Soweto uh, it's featuring tempo it's so good the thing I love about this song is the versatility of it like if
6: you want to feel like you're on a beach with the open-top Jeep, it works for that. If you want to smoke a little bit on your couch, it works for that. If you want to play it while you're getting ready for a party, it works for that. Okay. It's, it's very, very uh, relaxing, and it can take you to a bunch
4: of different places. But, you know, it's got, it's got a nice uh, rhythm to it, so you can move your hips and uh, get into it. So that's Soweto by Victoni and Tempo, and you can find that song in the footnotes. Footnotes.
2: All right. Well, The Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That's going to do it for us this morning, back this afternoon to tell you what is trending. And we will talk to you all then. Bye. Peace. Bye. Here's something you might not know about wireless. Sometimes what you see isn't what you get.
1: Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country,
5: huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.
1: gang, you like to watch new stuff, right? I mean, who doesn't? I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury... Meets a world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring the Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise. The sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's streaming now, and it's waiting for you on Hulu.